Business Podcast, the podcast for free spirits with a big idea who want to turn their passion into a business. I'm Anke Herman and I'm your host. My guest today is the author of a book called Wealth on Any Income. He's an author, a trainer, a philanthropist who shares his fascinating story about entrepreneurial successes and failures how he found himself broke at the age of 50 and what he did to turn his luck around and how he now teaches other people to do the same, to build wealth on any income. Welcome, Rennie Gabriel. Enjoy. Hello and welcome, Rennie. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Anka. Excellent. Um, Well, why don't we start and I'd love you to share with people where you're based and what's your business. Oh, sure. Um, I'm in a uh, little town near the coast in uh, California. A lot of people have heard of it. I'm so surprised. It's called Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, a tiny little village. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, that's where I'm based. And as a matter of fact, I'm born and raised here. Wow. And uh, I've been there to visit once. It was just fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that, a you whole know, different You know, some podcast. people say, oh, you're born in Los Angeles. You're still there. You haven't gone very far in your life. And they're right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's all relative, isn't it? So, so yeah, what, what's your business? What do you do? Um, I, the shorthand is we raise philanthropists. We work with uh, coaches, authors, speakers, trainers, primarily heart-centered business people who have not learned how to handle money effectively, just like 90% of the population hasn't. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they, they, ha- they want to contribute to what touches their heart, and so we show them how to handle money effectively, make investments, create a passive income, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's in their business or outside their business, but that way when their finances are secure and they've got additional funds flowing in, they can now donate money or their time to the causes that touch their heart. Oh, that's beautiful. And um, I, I mean, this is going to be audio only, but I can see what you've got behind there. What's, what's the cause that touches your heart? Cause it's probably going to make me <sighs> cry. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I, I'll try and get through it without making myself cry. Um, <laughs> Shelter to Soldier is an organization that rescues dogs from high-kill environments. Uh, And if they're the right size and personality, they're trained as service animals for soldiers who've come back with post-traumatic stress disorder or traumatic brain injuries. And the statistics in the U.S. are that uh, of the returning soldiers, they're committing suicide at the rate of almost one per hour. Uh, So... um, not one service member who's received their service dog has committed suicide. Wow. So uh, this organization is saving two lives at a time, dogs that would have been euthanized and soldiers that otherwise could have committed suicide. Oh, that, that is tough not to cry. Like I'm <laughs> such a dog person. I've got three. <laughs> well, I've got three rescue dogs at the house right now. Yeah, two are ours and one we're house sitting. Yeah, we're babysitting yeah. or yeah. doggy sitting. Yeah, so I've got I've got three rescues, uh, too, and like two sitting right down here. Yeah, that that's just so beautiful yeah, so from all the on all these different levels. It's yeah, 
that's wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, so that, that, that's what that what touches my heart. And yeah. so my wife and I have, uh, we funded nearly $100,000 of their operations. We're their number five uh, donor. And, uh, you know, it just, it's, it, it warms my heart to, to give to them. So that's what I do. And so the point is to raise other people to, to feel that same joy that we feel, get out of the struggle that I had because, you know, it's, I've gone through a lot of ups and downs. As a matter of fact, uh, by the time I was age 50, I'd had two divorces and a business failure and was flat broke. I had nothing to speak of. And I mean, if someone asked me to, you know, I had someone had a great investment and they only needed $3,000, it wouldn't have mattered. I couldn't have put that together. Yeah. And I think that's, <clears throat> that's obviously what I was going to ask next. Like how, like what, what sparked you to go out and start your own business to start with? <laughs> and then how did you it was desperation. That's what it was. <laughs> and, and I mean, how, at age 50. Yeah. So did you start going out on your own at 50? No, I, I uh, the reason I'd had a business failure and a couple divorces was because I'd been a serial entrepreneur. And some of them did okay, some of them did well, some of them were abject failures. And so by the time I was 50, and you know, with no resources and two divorces under my belt, and when I say a business failure, I mean, uh, it nearly drove me to the point of bankruptcy. It was so bad, I had to collect soda pop bottles and cans to get the refund money to buy food for my family. Uh, so, you know, th th those don't help keep a marriage stable. <clears throat> but, you know, at age 50, I, I, it was the last straw from the standpoint I'm divorced. Um, I, I do at least know how to coach other business owners to grow their businesses and be profitable. And I looked down the road and I said, oh my gosh, you know, in 15 years, I'll be 65. And if I don't want to be eating cat food as, as my meals, uh, I've got to do something here. <clears throat> so I used a secret uh, that's about 5,000 years old, and it shouldn't be a secret because the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, has sold millions of copies. But it was a third time reading it, and I said, okay, uh, this is what I've got to do. And I paid myself 10% of every dollar that came in and hey, I wasn't earning a lot of money, like 5,000 a month. So I was setting aside $500 a month. In three years, <laughs> in three years I'd saved up $18,000. And that's really what turned things around because um, my wife was a realtor and she knew a realtor and he had this little three unit property that he said uh, we should buy. And I said, well, you know, all I've got is $18,000. And he said, well, that's 25% of the uh, down payment. Uh, my wife came up with uh, another 18,000. He came up with the other half and the three of us bought it. And I'd taken a class at uh, UCLA. I think most people around the world have heard of that university on, uh, it was through their extension school, how to manage apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to put it to use and I took the class in the 1980s and this was like 2001 and we cleaned up the property. We re-rented it. We fixed the items or I fixed a lot of the items that needed repair. 
because we couldn't afford, <laughs> besides the down payment, we couldn't afford to pay other people to do stuff. Yeah. But in, the, in about four years, that property increased in value by a half a million dollars. And I saw that this was turning out well. I borrowed more money to make down payments on more apartment buildings. And by a year five, six, seven, somewhere in that range, we had 50 apartment units that we owned and managed. So, you know, I went from flat broke at 50 to a multimillionaire in about seven years. Wow. And like what really strikes me is that you started again, like at 50, which I find oh. fascinating because people <laughs> often have that. Yeah, but it's too late, it's, you know? It, yeah. So there is yeah. this sense, especially when it comes to, I mean, when it comes to investing, I mean, apart from, I'd also love you to go back to like, because I agree that we know nobody really gets taught about investment, right? So how, how yes. come, like, what was that like for you when you grew up? Were you taught any of it or how did you know to oh. look in that direction? You know, I, I'm so glad you asked that. Such an excellent question because not only uh, did I not, was I not taught how to handle money effectively? I mean, I knew my mom spent less than she brought in. That's about all I knew. Uh, what became most frustrating to me was getting an insurance license, becoming a chartered life underwriter, uh, learning how investments work, becoming a certified financial planner, and not one of those courses provided the foundations of how to handle money effectively. I mean, as a certified financial planner, I was helping people who already had wealth protect it or grow it, but never are we taught how to build it in the first place. That's okay. And it doesn't matter if I'm a certified financial planner or, or a certified public accountant. They're not taught that information e either. And it's just, so when I say 90% of the population hasn't been taught this, I'm including CPAs and certified financial planners. I had no idea that they didn't. <laughs> Either. You would have thought, yeah, that, that's, that's incredible. So what, what made you curious to you? Because actually that's a funny one because when I moved to Australia because I married an Australian, his dad was quite savvy. And mm -hmm. I had like, this was a whole new world for me. It's like, what is he doing with, you know, investment units and this and that. And I was like, what is this? I literally, and I grew up in East Germany. Like that's, that comes to my oh. defense. Like I had oh, no yeah. idea, you know? So, so how did you discover that whole world of, of investment? It was, I knew it existed because as a certified financial planner, I had licenses and all this stuff. But again, the foundations were missing. How do you actually structure your life to spend less money than you earn? And that's, I mean, I went through some, I went, I devoured books to try and learn this. Hmm. And, you know, while I learned it, I wasn't able to apply it. And what I found out, you know, you can read a book, a great book. As a matter of fact, I've got a book. It's called, excuse me, I'm going to cough. <laughs> My book is called Wealth on Any Income, and it is great, but I got to tell you, it doesn't matter how great a book is, there are two things it cannot do. No book can do this. It cannot interrupt your faulty thinking, because you keep it to yourself, and even if you share it with the book, the book can't respond to you and say, oh, Unka, that's not correct. 
<laughs> okay, so the book can't interrupt faulty thinking, number one. And number two, the book cannot be an accountability partner to you. Mm. It requires human being for both of those things. Yep. And so what I'm getting at is there was no one that was holding me responsible for doing the things I might have learned from books. There was no one holding me responsible for doing the things I learned in my uh, CFP coursework. There was no one who was holding me accountable to make the kind of investments I learned about. And so, you know, I get to age 50 and I had none of it. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe 10% of the population can do that on their own without another human being. But one out of 10 is not a good statistic. Yeah, that's so true. And that's probably where the kind of family background like plays a role. If you come from a family where, you know, your parents know how to deal with money that you just kind of pick it up, you know, so that. Yeah. And, and that's pretty rare. I mean, parents can't teach what they don't know. And as a matter of fact, school teachers can't teach what they've never learned and it's not taught in school. So it's not taught by parents and you know, people that stumble along trying to figure this out for themselves and it's mostly failure and not success. Yeah. So true. So true. So Tell me, what was your first business? What's the first thing oh. that... <laughs> <laughs> oh, now let's see. The first thing uh, I did was... Oh, gosh. I was thinking, oh, I, I, went, I was selling uh, machines that would press people's clothing at home. And <laughs> a, yeah, a friend of mine would uh, put ads on TV. People would call in. I would go out to the house and I would, you know, entice them into buying something that hardly anyone ever needs. <laughs> That's where it started. And I said, you know what, this is not really long term. I've got to get into some business that I think will stick around for a long time. Hmm. And I figured, well, money's been on the planet for a long time. People gave up bartering centuries ago. Money is probably a long term thing. Okay, what do I do? So I started selling life insurance. Mm. And, you know, life insurance companies have been around for 100 years. I figured they would still stick around. And I was right, but I didn't enjoy it. I mm. did it. I was able to earn, you know, a living, but I, I really didn't enjoy it. So th that's where the evolution started. It was, oh, you talked, to, you talked before the interview about the kinds of things we go after and we find out, find out we don't like it. So I, I graduated from college as a school teacher. Mm -hmm. I did it for a year. I really enjoyed it, but it paid so poorly, I had to give it up. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, you know, I don't like this insurance stuff. I don't like selling insurance. Ah, I've got an idea. I will build an agency and train other people to sell, and I'll support them. And then I'll get overrides on what they do. So that was my idea. And within a couple of weeks of coming up with that idea, I had the opportunity to build an insurance agency and started on that path and went out with uh, insurance agents uh, on their appointments to help them, you know, sell. And I found out I hated it. <laughs> it was worse than selling on my own. <laughs> You know, we'd be in someone's house, they're smoking cigarettes, I'm choking on it, and I can't tell them, please don't smoke in your own home. I mean, it's just, you know, and I'm out there with some person I really don't care for and training them, and I'm thinking, this isn't working. I got to, you know, so the point is, I had an idea, I went for it, 
It yep. showed up and I hated it. But yep. you know what? We're never going to run out of ideas. Yeah, that's so true. And so, you know, I can't remember what I started afterwards, but it was not, oh, uh, I went into the pension administration business mm. where I set up pensions for corporations and profit sharing plans and 401k plans for businesses. And then I became the director of pensions for an insurance company. And the funny part about that is it was the first time I left having control over my own income and became an employee. And I was probably somewhere in my 30s. And that was such a cushy situation. And I'm so glad they merged with another company and fired everybody on the fourth floor. <laughs> so my, my life as, a, as an employee lasted about three or four months. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I still have other opportunities. And so, you know, I went back into doing things on my own. But the reason I laugh is, I think about myself as too insecure to be an employee. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, well, okay. Let, let's say you're an employee and you have a hundred percent of your income from one source and that source decides they don't like you anymore. Or they go out of business or they lay you off or they fur you furlough you like in a pandemic. I mean, gosh, in the United States, we're up to like 40 million people being unemployed because of the pandemic. Well, if these people were self-employed, they could pivot and do something different in their business. But when they're an employee, they just lost 100% of their income. Yep. Didn't, they didn't lose any percentage of their bills. They still owe their rent or their mortgage or they want to buy groceries or make car payments or whatever, but they have no income now. But if, if I'm in business for myself and I lose a client or two, I lose a portion of my income, not all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Actually, when when I decided to ditch my cushy IT job to go and move to a different country, start my own thing, one giant consideration was I wanted more job security, and I didn't want to. And you know that that's the thing. People look at you as if you're crazy. Yeah. You know, right. They like, don't understand. Why, why would yeah. you leave a permanent job to? you know, start something that who knows what turns that, that, what that turns into. But as you're saying, like, I don't want to shiver every time I hear the word restructuring project, you know, when you think, <laughs> well, let's let them shuffle around some departments and see whether we'll still have employment after that, you know, because it isn't even, it has nothing to do with whether you're any good or not. That's right. You, you can know, be so, wonderful. You'll yeah. still be out on the street. Absolutely. And that was also the, the, the part where, you know, age comes in and I thought, well, yeah. oh, I'm, yeah. still, I'm still okay now. Now I can still snap and call an agent or call a mate and somebody like I pick up a new project quickly. But I said, I don't want to be, you know, 50 and send out resumes for programmers jobs, right? Where oh, some 25-year-old yeah, I... kid goes, what's this old kid wanting here, you know? Oh, exactly. I've got a tenant who just got a job in IT with a large company, but it took him six months and he was homeless while he was trying to get this job. Yeah. And I put him up for free in one of our apartment units. But the point is, you know, here's someone who had the skills who couldn't get a job. Why? Because he was 60. Yeah. And he finally did land the job when the second person, well, he was their second choice after five months of interviews. 
And their first choice said, I'm not waiting this long. Now that you're offering it to me, it's too late. I've already accepted something else. Hmm. He got it because he was the second choice and, and had no other options. Yeah. Yeah. So but, that, you know, I mean, he's turned out to be a wonderful employee. I mean, a wonderful tenant. He's paying rent now that he can. And I mean, it's a co- completely different situation. But yeah, you don't want to be going through that at age 60. No, I mean, that's the thing. But that that illusion <clears throat> of security, I find it endlessly fascinating. Because at least if you're out on your own, you have, you're like at the helm of the boat. You know, if you don't like exactly. where it's going, you can turn something somewhere else. Oh, yeah. So like I was talking about at age 50, I had uh, about 10 coaching clients paying me $5,500 a month. That was my $5,000 a month, which meant if I lost a coaching client, I didn't lose $5,000. I only yeah. lost $500. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's easier. And so then, you know, I could replace one client. And, you know, after about, well, I gave up one-on-one coaching because it just wasn't that fulfilling to me after about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, as the coaching clients dwindled off, I didn't replace them. Yeah. But that, that's all it takes. Yeah, I, I would have been in control of my ship, and I was, and you are, and that makes all the difference in the world. Oh, for sure. So, okay, so when you let the, the, the one-on-one clients, you know, evaporate, so what was it that, so what's the format? Oh, that, that's as the real estate, the real no, estate apartment buildings. That's right. Estate. It was, oh, it was okay. that shift. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it was sort of like, I don't need to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I've got more than enough income coming in from the apartment buildings. And so, oh gosh, I guess it was about 10 years later. We're 19, so about eight, nine years later. <clears throat> it was a situation where I severed an Achilles tendon. And I couldn't do anything. Hmm. And I'm sitting at home calling a handyman to change the battery in a smoke alarm or change a light bulb for a tenant. And I'm thinking, I'm going absolutely stir crazy. So I thought, you know, I've got to do something. What can I do? And that's when I started in the online business. It was about six years ago. So that would have been about 2014 or so. And I realized, well, what can I do? I can teach people how to handle money effectively. I can teach people how to do what I've done. I can teach people how to create a level of wealth so they feel real good about donating to the causes that touch their heart. And, you know, why do I do it? Well, I almost walked away from it because, you know, it it involved the coaching and it was frustrating. I'm spending a lot of money learning this stuff. And then this charity, Shelter to Soldier, was brought to my attention. Mm. So now I've got a reason to do it. And so they get 100% of the profits from my book, from my coaching, from my online programs. And that's the reason I continue to do it. It's to raise the money and donate it to the the charity. Yeah, I mean, that's just... I think it's that fulfillment that in the end of, at the end of the day, people are looking for. You know, it's always like disguised as, you know, want to make money. But I think at the end of it... It's that fulfillment what everybody's looking for. Yeah, it, it's, it's answering your heart's calling. Mm. And that's what it's about. That's what provides the fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how is dealing online with clients? How do you find that? How is that different 
from, you know, basically real life in person. <laughs> it's, it, it isn't any different mm. in the same way that you might go to a BNI or some other kind of networking meeting or network in the Chamber of Commerce. Instead of going in person somewhere, you're doing it online. I'm in several mastermind groups. I, I network with other people online. And, you know, out of the connections that are created there, there are people who decide to come into my program. There are some people who want to connect with me on LinkedIn and sell me something. Uh, <laughs> I connect with them and enroll them in my program instead. <laughs> oh, that's it. Like, you have to teach that one because it's really funny how annoyed people are getting. You know, when it's like, oh, let's connect. And then next thing you know, they shove something down your throat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I look at it as that's the perfect opportunity to say, how is this working for you? Uh, what are you doing with your money? And I got to tell you, it, I, I find it fascinating because, you know, so many of the people who want to sell me something are struggling financially and they belong in my program. Yeah, oh, that is funny. That is <laughs> like actually next time somebody, uh, you know, tries to shove them something down, my throat, I'm going to send them to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at, yeah, I look at them as a prospect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're perfect. You know, the prospects clients, are coming to yeah, the, the prospects are coming to me through LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like you have pretty much the whole world as your potential client because nobody really knows how to, how to yeah, deal with money. Yeah. Do you find yeah. there is a lot of, because I think there's always two parts to, to an area of expertise like that, where it's like there's the technical part of it, the mechanics of it, but then especially when it comes to money, boy, there's a huge element of beliefs and kind of like, oh, I'm kind of, you know, I would rather be a good person than have a lot of money, like a lot of that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, you hit on my hot button. <laughs> yeah, there, I've got a quote from Warren Buffett. I, it's my favorite quote of his. And he says, of the billionaires I have known, money just brings out the basic traits in them. Yes. If they were jerks, before they had money, they were simply jerks with a billion dollars. And what that says is the opposite is true. A good person who becomes wealthy is still a good person. Yeah. It's not the money that corrupts anybody unless they were already corrupt. Yeah. yeah and so do I good. use that quote because I get it so often from healers and I get it from coaches that... <laughs> You know, I, I don't want to have a lot of money because that'll make me a bad person. Well, guess what? That's the influence they got from society. That might have been the influence they got from their parents. I mean, I've had people tell me their parents said, oh, that person has got a lot of money. He must have done it illegally. Yeah. He must have scammed other people. Yeah. And, and that's the belief that they inherit from their parents. And the reality is when you look around at Hollywood movies, when you look at TV shows, when you look at the scripture, when you look at books, when you look at fairy tales, all of them say the poor people are the kind and noble and the wealthy people are the greedy and heartless. Yep. And let me give you one example. You know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk? Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Because, yeah, I mean, that was that started, that was a European fairy tale. Oh, okay. And, okay, maybe in maybe get I know to East Germany. Yeah, maybe yeah, I, like it, in it, German, it's it, called it, something different. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it hmm. did have different names because hmm. it was translated into so many languages. But the story is that 
Jack is a poor child, and his mom asks him to take a cow to market and sell it because they need money so desperately. So he's walking the cow to market, and a man says, I've got these magic beans. I'll trade them for the cow. So he goes home and he says, Mom, look, I got these magic beans. Well, she's ready to kill him. He just got rid of a whole cow for a pile of magic beans. She throws them out the window, and the next morning, there's this huge beanstalk that rises right up into the clouds. So Jack climbs the beanstalk, and he comes across a giant. He hides from the giant, but the giant has these golden eggs, and he has a goose that lays these golden eggs and things of that nature. So Jack steals some golden eggs and climbs down the beanstalk and tells his mom, look, that it was the magic beans that grew this beanstalk, and there was a giant in the heavens, and I've brought back these golden eggs. So things are okay. He's stealing golden eggs, and it's okay because Jack is poor. Well, as the story continues, he steals the goose that lays the golden eggs, and as the giant is chasing him down the beanstalk, he cuts it down, and the giant falls to its death. Okay? So the moral of the story, which is not the one people are told, people are told, well, Jack was poor, and it was okay to steal this stuff. The moral of the story in my mind is, excuse me while I cough again, <laughs> the moral in my mind is, it's okay to kill the rich if you're poor. That's what people pick up from the story subtly. And if you look at stories by Charles Dickens, if you look at the scripture like, a needle can pass through the eye, excuse me, a camel can pass through the eye of a needle easier than a rich man can get into heaven. What's that telling you? If you're rich, you can't go to heaven. Yeah. These are the things that society imparts on the population that it's better to be poor than it is to be rich. So, of course, people are going to have a struggle when it comes to making money because they're going to see, well, I don't want to be corrupt. I don't want to be evil. I still want to get into heaven. I need to stay poor. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you know, that, is, yeah, that is yeah. such a, like, you can really, like, it's not hard to imagine how that would get in the way, wouldn't it? Because oh, when it absolutely. comes to, you know, charging for your work or selling something, I think that's where all that, all those hang-ups around selling come from. Absolutely. And it, it, I mean, Hollywood movies, like I said, perpetuate this myth. But if you think about it from the standpoint of what's more effective, if Hollywood does a movie where the hero is rich and the poor people are awful, <laughs> are they going to sell more tickets or less tickets? <laughs> yep. Well, I would say, I would imagine they'd sell less tickets because... Exactly, yeah, because there's because more nobody, poor people. Yeah, because nobody resonates, nobody identifies with with the hero in the story. Exactly. Yeah, there are absolutely. more people who are going to resonate with the poor people. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to buy the tickets. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me, actually, there was this president of Uruguay, you know, and he was, you know, lovely guy, but I never liked that thing, that it was always like the fact that he lived like a poor man somehow made him a better person, right? And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, well, I don't know. Like, it isn't... Yeah, I mean, money is just, I was just like, it's like alcohol. It just kind of amplifies what's already there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think you've got, 
a huge, huge piece of work, huge chunk of work cut out for you there. Oh, uh, yeah. There, there, are, there are some people out there that could be clients. That's true. <laughs> yeah, a few. That's a few. <laughs> so, so what's on the horizon for you? Where are you headed? Well, my goal is to move from the number five uh, donor of this charity to number one. And that, that's one of my goals. And, you know, that just means I support more people to handle their money effectively, mm-hmm. that I sell more books, that, I, that more people enroll in my program. And that'll provide more profits for me to donate to the charity and I'll become their number one donor. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, the logical follow-on question is, where can people find out about your books, your programs to help you achieve that goal? Well, I've got some great free stuff available. You do. And if they just go to my website, wealthonanyincome.com, and put forward slash tools and the, the number one, you know, like not spelling it out, but tools one after wealthonanyincome.com, they will get a pile of free resources to help build their business. They get to experience the stuff that I've got that supports business owners. I've got a pre-release copy of my newest book called The Attitudes of the Wealthy, because you spoke about the attitudes that get in the way. And the first third of my award-winning best-selling book deals with the attitudes that get in the way and how to get them out of the way. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, obviously, I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but I love that you spelled it out because sometimes people just listen in the car and they won't ever check out the show show notes. So that's that's fabulous. That's exciting. And there's like, I've had had a look, there's like loads of gold in there. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I say there's over a thousand dollars worth of free business building tools. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. There's definitely people will love it because I've had a sneak preview. (laughs) I had a little look and it's, yeah, amazingly generous and super valuable. Thank you so much for coming. It was fascinating. I could talk to you for like the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny. I I remember someone who, who supports other people in creating podcasts say, how do you determine what topic you want to talk about? And he says, look at tables with people having different conversations. Are they talking about civil rights? Are they talking about uh, decorating houses? Are they talking about money? What table are you going to be attracted to where you want to talk about whatever that topic is? And I realize I love talking about money. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great little exercise, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think it also money is fascinating on so many different levels. So I don't oh, think yes. you'll, you'll, it'll ever be boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From cryptocurrencies to, you know, mortgages to whatever, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. It's, it's a whole world out there. Well, thank you so much for coming and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Anika. My pleasure. I enjoy talking to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you know people who might enjoy it too, please send them to passionbusinesspodcast.com.